we're in this series on the life of Daniel. Daniel, this book is an amazing book of how God works through people that are willing to have faith, who are willing to trust God no matter what they're going through. God's going to test you. The book of Daniel is really about nine different tests that people are going through. All right, am I going to pass this test and do the right thing? Because before God can promote you, he's got to test you. Are you ready? Do you have the maturity, the integrity, the character to handle what he wants to do in your life? And every test is about a step of faith. Like Tiffany talked about, just stepping out there in faith and going for it. Today, I want to talk about the heat's on. That phrase, even though it's international today, it started in the 1930s in the gangster era. It's the heat's on means, you know, the cops are coming. You know, the cops are putting the pressure on us. Today, it just means I've got pressure in my life, how we use it today. But in today's story, we're talking about literal heat, a real fire. And this is 15 years later after the last story. Sometimes when you read in the Bible, you read through the Bible, and then it goes, the next chapter starts, and you don't know it's 15 years later. It doesn't say 15 years after that, but this is actually 15 years later than what we talked about last week. Daniel and his friends are now in their 30s. Last week, they were 17 years old. Now they're in their 30s. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's still the emperor. He's the most powerful man. He's got ego. He's got pride. He's got arrogance. You'll remember that 15 years ago in the last chapter, he put his faith in God. He said, okay, this is God. This is the real God. But it's interesting. Daniel goes away, not permanently. He's just away. And Nebuchadnezzar is still very immature, and he starts falling back in his old ways. I think if Daniel was with him, he had such a respect for Daniel and an influence, Daniel could talk to him and lead him in the right way. But Daniel's away, and this baby believer, even though he's been a believer for 15 years, he's still a baby maturity-wise, watch what he does. King Nebuchadnezzar made a giant gold image of himself 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plains of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he gives this order to all his officials, to the princes and the prefects and the governors and the advisors and the treasurers and the judges and the magistrates and other officials to come to the official dedication of the statue that he had set up. So he makes this big statue of himself. When they had all assembled and announced or shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, this is the king's command. Anytime you hear the royal orchestra start playing music, you are all to immediately drop everything, fall to your knees, and bow and worship the image of King Nebuchadnezzar. This is someone that 15 years ago he turned to God, and now he falls back into his old ways. We see this all the time. We all know people that were going to church, had faith in God, were even living for God. Things happened in their life, and they slowly strayed away, and then they start acting like they did in their old days. Maybe they had a heavy drinking problem, and now they're back there again. And you think, what happened? They knew better. They've been on the right path. How did they get over there? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their governors, those are Daniel's uh, three friends, they've been serving as governor in Babylon, even though they're Jewish, they've been serving there as governors for 15 years. 
The scripture says, anyone who does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a giant blazing furnace. As soon as they heard the music, everybody bowed down before the statue and worshiped the image of King Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 3, we see some, some similarities to our culture today. Number one in your notes, the world creates larger-than-life images for me to worship. Today, it might not be Nebuchadnezzar that we're saying, hey, he's just a man, but wow, let's worship him. Today, it might be the people on the movie screen that we idolize. And, you know, we, we start idolizing these people. It might be people in a sports stadium, in a concert. But we idolize people, movie stars, athletes. We look up to them. We idolize physical beauty and sex and wealth and success and pleasure and fame and power, influence, popularity. It's not a statue, but these are the things that we make, we start idolizing. The Bible's saying that's wrong. It's the same exact thing. And then just like Nebuchadnezzar, number two, I'm tempted to create a false image of myself to impress others. We live in a culture where it's all about me. So the temptation is for me to be like Nebuchadnezzar and for me to exalt myself because I want to be loved. I want to be honored. I want to be well-known. We look at Nebuchadnezzar building a big statue like that, and we're thinking, like, what's wrong with him? And yet, I think we're guilty of the same thing. Maybe we do it with social media. We use our social media to maybe portray ourselves in a way so people were like, oh, I want to be like him. I want to be like her. But we have this desire to lift ourselves up and be honored, just like Nebuchadnezzar. We might not be the king. We might not have the power to do what he did. But sometimes we're no better. And we even know God. We know God. We know the difference. And yet we can put the focus of our life on what's my image instead of what's my character. God wants me to have character. It's not about my image. It's about character. I'm not talking about being the best person you can be. You understand the difference, right? You want to be the best person you can be. I'm not talking, I mean, dress nice. Take care of yourself. Be healthy. You know, be a good person. It's not about that. It's about exalting myself. My desire is to exalt myself so people, I guess in a sense, would idolize me. Just like they did with Nebuchadnezzar. It's like the world revolves around me. I want attention. I want people to think I'm great. Well, that's ego, pridefulness, arrogance. It's not God's desire. God wants us to be humble. He wants me to be the best Jimmy I can be, but not in order to exalt myself in front of you. He wants me to be the best Jimmy I can be so that he gets the honor and glory. Like at work, if you're the best person you can be, the idea is you're doing it in a way that they see Jesus through the process. It's not about me being lifted up. Number three, if I reject the world's images and idols, people will try to burn me. That's, that happens. They're not going to physically burn you like what he was going to do. But if I reject the world's idols, the world's images, people will turn against you. When all the leaders fell on their face to worship this big idol, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, stood, they still stood up. They refused to bow down to a man. 
And of course, this made uh, Nebuchadnezzar upset. It made other people upset. Other people got angry at them that they're bowing down and you're not. Look at what happens. But some Babylonian officials used this opportunity to denounce the Jews. They told the king, oh, great king, we hope you live forever. The Jewish officials that you put in charge of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have defied your decree. They have refused to serve your gods, and they have refused to bow down and worship your image that you set up. You have to realize what was going on. This is Bab- they're in Babylon, and these three Jewish people rise to the top along with Daniel, and this is racism. This is a part of racism. They didn't like them already because they were Jewish. They're not Babylonian. And they felt like, what right? Why do we have to follow these governors? And they're not even Babylonian like us. Because the Babylonians felt like they were superior than others. We've seen that happen in our culture. And not just in the past. Where people think we're more superior. And it's also religious intolerance. Because they were a different religion. They didn't go along with the Babylonian religion. So you have racism, you have religious intolerance taking place here. That's the real reason they're after them because they didn't like them to begin with. They didn't like the idea that, that Nebuchadnezzar promoted these guys above them. And, you know, you promoted them above us and they're not one of us. That's what was going on. Even back then, nothing's changed. People are the same. Number four, Doing the right thing always makes some people angry. When you stand up, if you have integrity, if you have character, if you do the right thing, people are going to get angry. Some people think, man, if I could be perfect, people would like me. Well, Jesus was perfect and they killed him. People aren't going to like you if you're perfect. You know, people aren't going to like you if you're imperfect. <laughs> Because there's some people that no matter what you do, they're not going to be pleased. You can't make everybody happy. You can make God happy. If I choose to make God happy, I can reach that goal. But if I try to make people happy, it will never happen. Some people will like it. Some people won't. People were upset that they were willing to challenge a king and his, nar- and him, his pride, his, e- his egoness. He was the most powerful man, but they were saying, you're the king. You're the most powerful man that we know, but you're not God. And we're not, we're, we refuse to treat you like you're God. They were willing to respect him as a king. We'll respect you as a king. You're the king. You're in charge. We'll respect that. They were willing to respect him as the most powerful man. He was the most powerful man probably in the whole world at that time. Definitely where they lived, but probably in the whole world. We can respect that. But we refuse to treat you like you're a God. There is a boundary that they would not cross. They were willing to do everything except for that. They were willing to respect him. When you stand for something that's right, some people are going to be against you. See, there's three types of people that you're going to find at work or wherever you go. Some people are stuck up. Some people are kiss-ups. And some people will stand up. 
And you have to say, which one am I? We know that Nebuchadnezzar, he was stuck up. The world revolves around me. I'm more important than you. He was stuck up. We know what type of people, what type of person he was. The bureaucrats, they were kiss-ups. They would kiss up to him and go along with whatever he said to, in order to be on, their good, on his good side, whether it was right or wrong. And then there were people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, who wasn't here at the time, but Daniel, who stood up. They were willing to stand up and say, no, that's wrong. And what type of person are you? Are you st- stuck up? Are you a kiss up? Or are you willing to stand up for what's right? You're one of those three people. And wherever you are, if you're not someone that's willing to stand up, I hope that you're making a decision right now to change that. And when they stood up, do you notice that they're humble? They're polite. They don't brag about it. But they stand up for what's right. It's not out of arrogance. Why was this so important to them? Well, the Ten Commandments. You know, the very first commandment says, you shall have no other God before me. So you can't have any other God first in your life. Well, what would that mean for us today? The truth is you can't have anything as your number one priority other than God. If you say, my business is number one and God is number two, that's idol worship. You've made your business your God. If you say your husband or wife is number one, or your children are number one, and God's number two, then you've made your children or your husband and wife your God, your boyfriend or girlfriend. If you make, you know, money is number one, that's my number one priority, or having fun, whatever it is, if your number one priority is something other than God, that's idol worship. You're saying, that's my idol, that's my God. If you love anything more than God, that's idol worship. The second command is, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. They weren't going to do it. They weren't going to bow down to some idol. They weren't going to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar and worship him. They refused to break the uh, the Ten Commandments. In Daniel, it continues. Then Nebuchadnezzar fell into a rage, and he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought to him. The king asked them, is it true that the three of you refuse to serve my gods or worship the gold statue that I set up? I'll give you one more chance. See, he's a good guy. I'm going to give you another chance. He actually did like them, by the way. That's why he put them in the position uh, that he originally put them in. But it's about public saving face. I'm the king. I've got to save face here. If I let them, if I say everybody has to bow down to this statue, this great idea that I had, And they don't respect me enough to do that. I've got to make an example of them, even though I don't want to. So I'll talk them into changing their ways and everything will be cool. I'll give you one more chance. If you bow down and you worship the statue, all will be well, because that's what he wants. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power. So he's warning them, you know, I'll throw you in there. You're going to die. You're going to be burnt to death. He knows the answer now. He knows that because they're sensible guys, these guys are very wise. He knows the answer. They're going to say, okay, thanks for giving us another chance. That's what he's expecting. What should I do when the heat is on? Because sometimes at work, the heat's on. A boss is going to say this or that, and you're going to have to stand up for what's right and maybe lose your job. Number one in your notes, 
Don't worry about defending myself. When the heat is on for being a Christian, if the heat's on your life for making a moral stand that's right, if the heat's on your life for doing the right thing, you don't have to defend yourself. God will defend you. In Daniel 3.16, then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves in this matter. They're going to say, well, we're going to obey God. We're going to let God defend us. Second in your notes, remember that God has the power to save me. It doesn't matter what kind of mess you're in, what kind of crisis you're going through, what kind of difficulty. You have to remember, God has the power to turn this around. In Daniel 3.17, it says, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we worship is able to save us. You know, God has the power to save us. It starts there. You have to believe no matter what the situation you're in, if you're making a stand for what's right, you know that God can save you. But he goes to the next step. Number three, believe God will save me. It's one thing to say, I know that God can save me. But then he says, now take the step of faith and say, I believe God will save me. When you're in a problem, a crisis, look at what they said in Daniel. And, we, and he will save us from your power, O king. They were willing to take a step of faith. I believe God can save us, and I believe he will save us. I believe God's going to win in this situation. I think he's going to come through for us. There are so many, there's hundreds of promises in the Bible that you can read and memorize and hold on to when you're going through a tough time. Look at Isaiah 43, 2 and 3. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God. So your faith is, God's going to save me. And then number four, I announce my loyalty to God no matter what. I'm going to be loyal to God no matter what. If it means you're getting fired, it doesn't matter. Be loyal to God at all costs. And listen to how they, and listen to what they say here in verse 18. But even if God doesn't save us, because I don't care how much you believe God's going to save you, sometimes he chooses to allow us to die. How many people throughout history have died because of their faith? A lot of Christians have been murdered because of their faith. More Christians have been murdered for their faith in the last hundred years than in any other time in history. It's amazing how many people have died for their faith through communism, through Islam, and through other different things that have happened. But even if God doesn't save us, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. So God wants you to believe and have faith, but he wants you to know at the same time but even if I do have to die, I'd rather die for what's right than live for the wrong thing. That's what it means to be sold out for God. When you reach a point where you're saying, I'd rather die and stand for what's right than live for what's wrong. If you haven't reached that point, you haven't really sold out to God yet. You're still hanging on to the world or fear or something else. It takes courage to be loyal to God to that point. Let's look at how God rescues us from a crisis. Sometimes God saves us from the crisis. Sometimes you're in a crisis and he gets you out of it. 
And you say, wow, that was God. He worked it out. He saved me. In other words, I didn't have to walk through the fire. Everything worked out great. And God does that. God's done that with me. Sometimes God saves us through the crisis. We have to actually walk through that fire. He doesn't take you out of the problem. He allows you to go through it. And it's sometimes the most difficult time in your life, but he uses it to make you a better person. I can't tell you about how many times I've been through a tough time, and through that tough time, it's made me a better person. I've learned compassion way more for the poor because I've been in those situations. I've learned compassion way more for people that are struggling in their marriage because I've been in those situations. You know, when you go through those tough times, it gives you compassion for others. You might have compassion for somebody, but it's not the same type of deep compassion that you feel after you've gone through it yourself. So sometimes through the worst times, God uses that to make you a better person. So he, so he makes you walk through that fire. And sometimes we need to walk through those fires so that we can build our character, so that we can become better people, more sensitive to the needs of others. And three, sometimes God saves us by the crisis. It's the very crisis itself that gets us to God, that gets our life turned around. There's times that a person dies and that person's close to you and it breaks your heart and it turns you to God. And it's not that we're happy that someone died, but God, many people have come to God through that process. It's, it's the crisis itself that got them to where they need to be. They go through a divorce and that's what gets them to turn to God. It's their teenage son or daughter's on the wrong track and they seek guidance for the first time spiritually. And that's what got them to God. A lot of times it's a very problem. It could be a cancer. It could be something else that opens you up to God. The person didn't care about God. They get this sickness and now they're praying. A lot of times it's the the problem itself that saves you. And you look back and say, man, if I never went through that problem, I would have never turned to God. He wasn't even on my mind. It was in that process of this horrible thing happening that caused me to turn to God and say, God, maybe maybe you'll help. And now you're walking with God. And it's not like, boy, I'm glad that bad things happened to me. I don't think any of us like that. But it's like, wow, if that's what it took to get me to walk with God, praise God, because it's more important important for my eternity that that happened. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, it may be necessary for you to be sad for a while Because of the many trials you suffer, their purpose is to prove that your faith is genuine. Even gold, which can be destroyed, is tested by fire. So so your faith, which is much more precious than gold, must also be tested so that it may endure. Then you will receive praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed. It's saying someday you're going to stand before God. And those times of testing are sometimes used to make you right before God. It's through those tough times, through that pain, God used it to get you to him. And you look back and you realize, wow, God cared more about my character than my comfort. God was more concerned about my salvation. He allows tough times in my life to draw me to him. And we all know people, maybe including ourselves, but we all know other people as well, that it was during that hard time in their life 
that they turn to God. We see it happen all the time, not just with ourselves, but with other people as well. Daniel 3.19, Nebuchadnezzar became so furious that his face was distorted with rage, and he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. He was so sure, okay, I'm going I'm to give you guys a second chance, and we're going to work this out. Everything will be cool. And they say, no, we're not going to do it. He is so, you know, prideful and arrogant that somebody, I mean, I'm showing them grace and mercy. I'm giving them a second chance. How dare you? And he goes into rage. Because he really is a baby spiritually. He never grew up spiritually. Uh, After he put his faith in God before, he never really grew up. He's like so many Christians. There's a lot of people that put their faith in God, but they never grow up. It's, it's like you don't see God in their daily life. They, they've never been reading the Bible and praying and humbling themselves and changing. But they believe it. They believe God's real. They believe Jesus died on the cross. But they've never taken the steps to grow. There are some people that have been Christians for just two or three years, and they're like so strong in their faith. There are some people that have been Christians for years and years, and they're not much different than they were before. They've never really taken those steps of faith forward and allow it to change who they really are. When someone's against you because of your faith, the stronger that they're against you means the more insecure they are in what they believe. This is why when you hear about these um, suicide bombers and stuff like that, why would they do something like this? Why would they they be so strong against somebody else's faith that they want to kill them? Well, it's because they're insecure about their own faith. That's when people fight it the most. Because think about it. If I'm 100% secure in what I believe, and you believe something different, does that threaten me? Do I feel threatened at all? No. If I 100% believe and know what I believe is true, someone believes something different, it doesn't threaten me. It doesn't like... (sighs) But why do they react like this? Because they're threatened. Because they're not secure in what they believe. So when someone gets an angry reaction to you because of your faith, it's just because they're insecure about what they believe. They're not sure about what they believe. So what you're doing threatens them. It threatens their own beliefs. Look at Daniel 3, 20 through 23. Then the king ordered some of his strongest soldiers to bind their hands and feet with ropes and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and they threw them into the furnace fully clothed. But because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire, the flames leapt out and killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So the guys that threw them in died. Securely tied up, they fell down into the blazing flames of the furnace. So they're thrown in the fire to die. What happens when I trust God in that furnace? Number one, God will walk through the fire with me. You won't be alone. God's going to be with you. Like the verse that we read in Isaiah. He walks with you during those hard times. When we're going through hard times, I'm going to tell you what it feels like. When I'm in the middle of a hard time, it feels like God's left me. That's how it emotionally feels. God, where are you? But the Bible's saying, I haven't left you. That's when he's carrying you. In Daniel 3, 24 and 25, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and asked his advisors, 
Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, we did, they said. Well, look now. Well, look now, he shouted. You can see four men now, unbound, walking around freely in the fire, unharmed. They threw three guys in, and he sees four guys in there. And the fourth man looks like a son of the gods. It's an angel. So they throw him in. The fourth man looks like a son of the gods. So we threw three men in, but there's four men in there, and that fourth guy looks like something different. He's not a regular person. And we know later on that it's an angel that went in there. So Isaiah 43, 2 and 3 again, it says, When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God. And what God is saying there is, you feel like you're alone, but you're not. When you go through tough times, God is with you. So God's going to walk through that fire with you. Notice how it says when, not if. God didn't say, if you go through a hard time, I'm with you. Why did he not say if? Because, it's, because he's saying, count on it. You're going to go through tough times. Who in life doesn't go through tough times? Everybody goes through hard times. He says, count on it. When you go through tough times, I am with you. But you're going to go through tough times. Number two, God will burn off everything tying me down. In this fire, they don't get burned. It says later on, you can't smell the smoke in their clothing. Uh, nothing on them has been singed. They come out totally like nothing happened. There's only one thing that burned up, the ropes that were tying them. The ropes, it makes me think, God is using that fire to give them freedom from the one thing that's tying them. And then we want to ask ourselves, well, what's got us tied up? What is, what's holding you back? What limitations do you have? This is saying God will allow you to go through tough times sometimes in order to deal with the issue that's holding you back, to deal with that limitation And what happens is when you get through the tough time, you now have a trust in God that you never had before. And you no longer have the hindrances that you had before, the limitations that you put on yourself, whatever you had uh, binding you. He'll use those tough times to break you free to realize, wait a minute, if I can trust God in this, I can trust God in the other thing that I wanted to do, that my own fears held me back. What's got you bound? What's holding you back? from being used by God. In Isaiah 48, 10, I have refined you, but not in the way silver is refined. Rather, I have refined you in the furnace of suffering. It's in suffering that sometimes God uses that to make you a stronger, better person. And then number three there, God will give me a new freedom. What people mean to use to enslave you or to entrap you or to destroy you God wants to use it to liberate you. When they threw those guys in the fire, they were trying to kill them. And all it did, they're tied up, all it did was set them free. Sometimes that's what we think. They're out to kill us. They're out to hurt us. They're out to make sure you lose your job or whatever it is. And God is saying, no, I'm going to use it for your good. What they mean for bad, I'm going to use it for your good. Psalm 66, 12 says, 
you let captors set foot on our neck. What does that sound like? You're laying on the ground there, stepping on your neck. Then we went through fire and water, and you led us out to freedom. So the captor looks like he's hurting them, but God was using this to ultimately bring about the freedom. Isn't that amazing that God will use something bad, and in his grace and mercy, he uses it for your good, and you get freedom out of it? Even though the people are trying to oppress you, that's the God of the Bible. He uses their evil intentions, and he's going to manipulate things around in a way that you end up getting freedom, and it works for your good, even though what they did was bad. Number four, God will make sure I come out unharmed. Before King Nebuchadnezzar thought up this stupid idea, God already had a plan. God already knew what he was going to do, and God was using this also to show grace to Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, think about this. Nebuchadnezzar had an experience with God 15 years before this and was starting off on the right path. But as a human, you know, he, and, you know, he made a lot of bad choices after that. He wasn't really walking with God the way that he needed to. So you know what? Maybe if it was me or maybe if it was you, you would say, man, after what he saw happen before, he saw God work before, and now he's, you know, walking down the wrong path. He deserves to die. He deserves punishment. God, don't show him grace. Don't show him mercy. You know, make his life really difficult. But that's not how God sees it. God sees Nebuchadnezzar as his child who has an arrogant problem, who's prideful. And God, no matter what, God wants Nebuchadnezzar to come back. Because God loves him as his own son. Just like he loves you as his own daughter. Or he loves you as his own son. That's how God's heart is. So God wants to use this to get him back on the right track. God's really not in the business of trying to find ways to zap you. Oh, there you go, zap. That's how people think God is. God's in the business of trying to get you on the right track. He doesn't want you to be zapped. He wants you to come home. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. He's right back on the right track again, right? He's the, okay, they're servants of the Most High God. He wasn't calling him the Most High God. Uh, he kind of fell away from that. Come out. Come out at once. Notice how he didn't call the angel out. <laughs> hey, by the way, you stay in there. You know, um, come out at once. So the three men stepped out of the fire. Then the princes, prefects, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their head, heads were singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Wow. God saved them. But God wasn't just doing it for their good. God was doing it to reach Nebuchadnezzar and those other people around. And it goes to number five. God will bring unbelievers to God. God will allow you to go through tough times, ultimately, to bring others to God. When others see how you react in these situations, it builds their faith. Here's what it does. There's going to be some Christians out there, and they're the silent Christians. They're the ones that are a little bit afraid to say they're a Christian because they think someone's going to laugh at them. But for whatever reason, they're silent. And you make a stand at work for something right, and they're over here, and they're hiding because they're thinking, oh, what's going to happen? Because they're afraid. 
And they see what happens. They see your stand. And they see that you do the right thing. And they see how it works out. And they think, wait a minute. I need to come out of the woodwork and be willing to do the right thing no matter what either. Why am I so afraid to do the right thing? Why am I cowering in my faith? And then these people that used to be, you know, trying to blend in with everybody else because they're afraid to be a public in their faith, they see you and it gives them the courage to now stand up. So it helps other believers, but it also helps unbelievers. People that don't know God, when they see you stand up for the right thing, it convicts them. Deep in their heart, they know right from wrong. What they're doing is right, and they're trying to you know, justify what they're doing, but they see you stand up for the right thing, and it convicts them, and then it draws them to obeying God, to doing the right things, to faith in God. God uses, especially when you're under pressure, and they see those things. God will use that to draw people to the Lord. Do you know when Christianity has spread the fastest throughout the world? It's during persecution. There were 75,000 Christians in China, just 75,000 Christians only in China when it wasn't against the law. But once they made it against the law and they started throwing them in jail and this and that and making them shut up and be quiet, do you know it spread like fire to uh, five, it went from 75,000 to 5 million in a matter of 30, 40 years. That's amazing. Just 30, 40 years later, from 75,000 to 5 million, it wasn't growing so fast when it was legal. <laughs> it's when communism made it illegal that it went, Phew. why? Because they saw Christians stand up for what's right, and they saw Christians that were willing to go to jail for what's right, and it made people believe. The other people said, well, that's the real thing. It wasn't in the good times that the other people believed. It was during the Christians' bad times that they believed. So, um, the Christianity has grown now to, they say, between 50 and 70 million. In, uh, so it went from 75,000 to 5 million. Then it's, right now it's between 50 and 70 million Christians in China. It's still against the law. They now have churches that are known, that are not illegal. They're under the authority of the Communist Party. They're allowed to meet but they have more churches that are illegal meeting in homes, small groups all over the place. But 50 to 70 million. I don't know if we have 70 million Christians in America. I don't know. But there's 70 million in China <laughs> where it's illegal. It's when the pressure's on that people turn to God. That's when they see it. Daniel 3:28. Then the king said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel to rescue his servants. They trusted in him. They defied my command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. That's what impressed him for Nebuchadnezzar. What made him get back right with God? Because they were willing to die for the right thing. They were willing to die. Wow, they were willing to die for that. Man, these are the real guys. These guys are real Christians. And what happens? He gets back on the right track himself, and he starts uh, following God again. What are you willing to die for? Are you willing to die for anything? There are some things that are worth dying for. What are you willing to die for? In Daniel 3, 29 and 30, it says, Therefore I make this decree. If anyone says anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be put to death, and their houses will be destroyed. He's still an immature Christian. <laughs> this is a real God. 
Nobody say anything bad against him or I'm going to kill you. He's still immature as his faith. There is no other God who could save anyone like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. So they come out of this promoted to even higher positions. Who are you looking for to rescue you? Who are you looking for to deliver you? When you're in hot water, when you're, the heat's on, when, uh, when the fire's on, who are you looking to? Are you trying to save yourself? It's yourself that probably got yourself in the problem. Uh, I doubt if you can save yourself. Are you saying, you know, I rely on the government to save me? Well, good luck on that one. Who do you rely on? Do you turn to God? I'll tell you this. If you and I didn't need a Savior, God would, never, God would have never sent one. If you and I didn't need a Savior, God would have never wasted his time sending one. He sent Jesus because we need a Savior. I need to be rescued. And number six in your notes, God will reward my faith in heaven. There's going to be rewards in heaven. Look at 1 Corinthians. Each of us must be careful how we build our lives because Christ is the only solid foundation. Whatever we build on that foundation will be tested by fire. If what we build is left standing, we will be rewarded. You see that with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They built their faith on God, and they're going to be rewarded for that. But if what we built is burnt up by the fire, we will lose our reward. Yet we will be saved like someone escaping from flames. It's saying here, I'm not talking about salvation here. Why do we go to heaven? We go to heaven because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We go to heaven because Jesus, God in human flesh, came to earth, died, and paid off the penalty of our sins. And we put our faith and trust in him. We go to heaven because of what God did. Okay, it's not because, I, I, look at me, I'm a great person. No, it's, we go to heaven because of what God did. But there's rewards in heaven, and they come through faith. And God says, I'm going to reward you when you take steps of faith. When you're willing to do the right thing no matter what, I'm going to reward you. And that reward is going to last for eternity. So I hope that when we're all standing before God, we're receiving, you know, awards for, from God for us standing in our faith and doing the right thing, even though sometimes it, it made us suffer. We were willing to do whatever was right no matter what the cost. Where do you feel the heat today? Maybe it's a financial pressure and you're tempted to do something financially that's not right. And God says, are you willing to suffer financially to do the right thing? Because sometimes doing the right thing is going to hurt you financially. Is it a job pressure? He's saying, are you willing to lose that job but do the right thing? Maybe it's peer pressure. Are you willing to lose those friends but do the right thing? Where's the pressure? Where's the pressure on in your life? Are you going to pass that test? Are you going to be willing to say, God, no matter what it costs me, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do the right thing no matter what. That's what it means to be a mature believer in God, in Christ. And that's when you get the, you, you're awarded for those things. Let's pray. Dear God, you know the problems that we're facing. You know the fire that we're going through. Help us to be like these men. We don't want to worry about having to defend ourselves. 
We want to remind ourselves that you have the power to save us. We want to have faith and believe that you will save us. Lord, that we're willing to stand for the right thing no matter what it costs us. And Lord, sometimes it's going to cost us a lot. Lord, we dedicate our lives to you. We want to do the right thing no matter what. We want you to be honored by the way that we live. So ultimately, it draws other people to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.